overall, the central plot will tell us maybe a little bit about how we get there, how we get through the story. Remember, again, it's not about backstory. It's about forward moving plot. But as a writer who's going to book someone, you need to whittle the details down into only the most essential content so that the story stands on its own and everything else in the query letter isn't overcompensating for the story. Hey there, welcome back to Lit Match, a podcast made to help writers find the best literary agent and business partner for their writing career. I'm Abigail K. Perry, a book coach and certified developmental editor who also worked as an editorial intern. A big reason I started this podcast is because I've talked to so many writers who are intimidated by the submission process. And part of that reason is because writing a query letter, which is the single most important page you need to write besides your manuscript, is, to be frank, hard. Basically, it's writing a sales pitch. And writing a sales pitch and writing a manuscript are completely different animals. Despite all that, you need to write a great query letter if you want to traditionally publish your book because you need to hook a literary agent who can advocate for your book in the traditional publishing world. I want to help you tackle your query letter so that you can do this with confidence and excitement instead of intimidation and dread. To do this, I've lined up some quick query tip episodes focusing specifically on the query letter. And if you listened to the previous episode, you will have heard the first in this series, which focused on the first paragraph in what I like to call the preferred three-paragraph format for a query letter. This is the preferred format that I found favorable when I worked as an editorial intern at a literary agency. And I saw this as the most successful query letter to catch attention because it got right to the point of what attracts an agent in what other words is called the hook, book, cook format. Today's focus is on paragraph two, which contains the most important part of any query letter, the blurb, or what you can call a back cover copy. Go ahead and take out your notepads because today you will want to take notes. I'm going to cover the three main details that an agent looks for in back cover copy or a blurb. I'm also going to provide you an exercise that I found personally really helpful when working on my own books or working with clients and helping them figure out the structure of what can keep their back cover concise. As a quick recap, for listeners who don't know what a query letter is, I've mentioned in the introduction that the query letter is the single most important page that you need to write beside manuscript. The reason for this is because a query letter is used as a sales pitch in order to seduce a literary agent into reading more. The query letter should be concise. It definitely should not extend beyond one page. If you would write a single space query letter in Word, Although the query letter is most likely something that you embed in an email, why are query letters so difficult for writers to write? Well, they're sales copy, but it's really used as a sales pitch. And writing sales pitch is completely different than writing a manuscript. Writing a manuscript might be 90,000 words, whereas sales copy might be 500. The challenge of it is being concise and sticking strictly to plot. In the previous episode, we did talk about paragraph one. And in paragraph one, you cover things like title, word count, genre, usually comps if you have great comps. Maybe even you hint at a logline. If you don't hint at the logline, 
This is where you really want to focus on what your logline for a story might be and expand upon it in back cover copy. To be clear, back cover copy, or this is exchangeable for the blurb, is not a synopsis. You may need to write a synopsis for literary agents depending on what the submission guidelines requirements are, but you should never include a synopsis in your querying letter itself. A synopsis is really worthy of its own episode, which I can do in the future. But essentially, a synopsis is going to hit all the main plot points and it's going to give away the big plot twist, including whatever happens in the ending, the climax of the story. You do not want to give those big, big plot points in your back cover because the whole point of a back cover copy is to hook the agent or seduce the agent and grab their attention enough that they want to read more. The purpose of a query letter in general is to get the literary agent to reach out to you and request more pages of your manuscript, if not the full manuscript. And the back cover is going to be really what accomplishes that if you've hooked them enough in the first paragraph to read on. Let's talk about what I mean when I say paragraph two. I have seen and I have heard that there is a preferred three paragraph format in a query letter. Sometimes a writer might think, it's so straightforward that there literally should be paragraph one, the hook, paragraph two, the book. It should just be one paragraph. And paragraph three is the cook's your author bio. That's a way to do it for sure. But that paragraph two does have some flexibility in what it could be. I do not think it should extend beyond three paragraphs. Something might be two to three paragraphs, but you'll notice that the more concise that you can make this back cover copy, the stronger it's going to be. And it, in the query letter as a whole, I really discourage anything that extends beyond a single space page in a Word document. If you're going past that, it's time to cut some words. And probably the best place to cut words is going to be in this back cover. Before we get started, I want to credit the amazing YouTube channel that everyone should go watch if you're trying to learn more about writing and publishing. It's the Book Ends YouTube channel with Jessica Faust and James McGowan, who are both literary agents at Bookends. Much of the content that I discussed today is a collection of my experiences and resources that I've studied, including the Bookends YouTube channel, which did a wonderful job at concisely pointing out the three main details that are needed in a book blurb. I have linked to that video in the show notes, and I encourage everyone after listening to this podcast to learn even more by watching that video. This is also what I'm going to go over today when I reference the three main details that a literary agent looks for in a blurb or a back cover copy. The first of these is character. Stories are about characters. We want to see characters who go on some sort of adventure or journey that changes them. In order to understand why we should care about those characters, we need to understand the main characters that we are going to follow in the plot. When you're mentioning characters in a back cover, really you need to zero in on one to two characters. You might need a third character in there, but I would recommend that if you do need a third character in there, you don't actually name them, but generalize them like the best friend or the niece or the dad and just name the one to two top characters who the story is actually about, who are going to be the ones who are driving the story through action. The reason for that is because the more details and possibly the more unnecessary details you need in order to describe the main plot are going to cloud the agent's attention as they're reading through the back cover and details can get lost and jumbled. Just like a reader who's going in a bookstore is going to turn over the back cover and skim the back cover, 
uh, before deciding if they're going to read the book. We have to do everything we can to savor details that continually grab our attention instead of give us so much information or so many names that we just don't follow it. I also think it's really valuable that when you're naming characters, we have a very clear understanding of what the character wants. Because if the character doesn't want anything, then why is the story about them? And definitely, why are they mentioned in the back cover? That one is crucial to the movement of the plot. And a back cover is not about themes. It's not about all these backstory details. It's not about all these unnecessary things that we may experience in the manuscript itself, but don't need in order to understand the central plot, which actually is the second detail in that list of the three main details in a back cover. So detail number one is character. Stick to one to two that you actually name. Try to make it clear who they are, what makes them unique, what makes them ironic to the story, which I can go on more in a second, or what makes them the least likely hero. The second detail is the central or main plot. It, of course, there are secondary plot lines. There are subplots in stories. This is what we use on a scene to scene that carries the story forward. However, on a back cover, we are seducing the agent or seducing readers with what is the most central plot line. You don't need to describe anything else. To describe anything else is going to become wordy and confusing. All you need to do is get enough in there that you are going to encourage someone to read the actual story itself. What's tricky then is figuring out how to condense a 90,000 word manuscript or more words or less words than that manuscript into a paragraph or two paragraphs. If I can encourage you to do anything, you do want to stay tight with details. The tighter the back cover is, the stronger it's going to be. To do this, you have to focus on the main plot that's important, the main plot that is moving the reader from the beginning of the story to the end, setting up expectations of by their climax without actually giving away the details of how they specifically go through their journey in order to reach their climax. If we understand upfront what a character wants, that gives you an opportunity to then describe what is going to stand in the character's way of their want. And if there is a conflict or the main obstacle, or the main antagonist, making it difficult for the character to get what they want, which you need to have in any story, there is a story to be had. That then gives you an opportunity to emphasize some specific details that might imply what the character is going to do about the main conflict or obstacle at hand, as well as how they're going to deal with death stakes. Basically, when I say death stakes, I pull this from one of my favorite craft writers. She's also a suspense writer, James Scott Bell. He has this amazing book, Revision and Self-Editing. And then he has this amazing book, Superstructure, and Write Your Book in the Middle. Just overall, all wonderfully amazing. He has really practical and ethical tips that I think that you can apply to your writing. But his book specifically, Revision and Self-Editing for Publication, is where I pull some strategies that I'll go over at the end of this episode and helping you write this out. One of those tips to help you write this is writing back cover that suggests what the death stakes are. And the death stakes are not always just physical death. Physical death will be the main stakes that are something like an action story, right? Or maybe even thriller or horror because death and even fate worse than death is a main value. And one of those things is basically what the character is trying to avoid, right? They actually want to survive in those stories. 
But there are other death stakes as well, like psychological death and professional death. So the three main whiff of death stakes that James Scott Bell goes over, and I have found this invaluable in all of my understanding of stories, were physical death, psychological death, and professional death. Great stories usually have a combination of some of them, maybe two, maybe all three of them. However, the main plot line is reliant on one of those death stakes being the most important stake that is moving the character through the story and is also tied to what they want. I'm going to go over some examples in a bit to explain this, but that's the main thing I'd like you to focus. If this isn't evident in your description, if anything is distracting us from what these main stakes are and what the character wants and how they're going about getting that, it's probably details that you can take out. Overall, the central plot will tell us maybe a little bit about how we get there, how we get through the story. Remember, again, it's not about backstory. It's about forward moving plot. But as a writer who's going to hook someone, you need to whittle the details down into only the most essential content. So the story stands on its own and everything else in the query letter isn't overcompensating for the story Okay, so with that, remember that you had, again, detail one character, detail two central plot or main plot line. And that means that we are down to the third detail. And the third main detail here is the hook. The hook is what sells your story or how an agent sells your story in comparison to comps. While there are no original stories because stories are based on patterns, we do need to figure out our hook, what makes them unique. Writers think that they need to come up with the most unique original hook in the world. Well, realistically, it's just kind of what makes the story what it is. So try not to overthink it and just focus on asking yourself what really is making your story unique. And this can be a variety of things. This could be character. Brandon Sanderson has these wonderful series of videos that he teaches on writing at BYU. They're all on YouTube. You can go ahead and watch those. And in one of them, he talks about how most writers will all agree that there's character, plot, and setting in every story. And all of that is connected by conflict. And he actually draws a circle. So he puts character, setting, and plot in different placements. And he draws a circle to connect the three words. And that is representative of conflict. That is essentially the bare bones of what a story is. If you want to make your story unique, if you want to figure out what your hook is, you can take one of those character, plot, and setting and change it up. Say I want to take a book like Lessons in Chemistry. What makes Lessons in Chemistry unique? Well, I would call it upmarket book club fiction. It deals heavily with an emotional journey and it has plot that moves the story forward. But probably what makes Lessons in Chemistry unique, if I were to guess, I'd say the setting is in the 60s and it deals with a woman in the 60s who is a chemist and spends her life defending her work as a chemist. So there we have a character and we have a setting that both work as the hook that make that story stand out. There are, of course, I'm sure other stories out there that deal with women in hard times that focus on their career and the sacrifices that they have to make in order to be respected and taken seriously by society. But what makes Lessons in Chemistry so unique is Elizabeth Zott and her resilient personality that allows her to persevere through hardships in the 60s that made it particularly difficult for her to succeed and be respected as a chemist. It also has kind of a unique factor there that she ends up being on a cooking show, and you know this from chapter one, and she becomes somewhat of a celebrity. But throughout that whole cooking show, she's not the typical chef on stage. She very much is enforcing her knowledge as a chemist and actually uses all scientific vocabulary to describe what food she's cooking and why it's valuable to eating. 
regardless of what your hook is, the hook is a giant reason why an agent's going to ask for my pages and why they think that they can sell it to editors when they go to market. It's also the reason why in a bookstore, readers say yes to the purchasing this book instead of the one next to it. Overall, they don't overthink it, but do include it in the back cover because if you don't have that hook, it's very unlikely that you're going to get a reader or an agent to actually go forward with your book itself. All right, so let's backstep just a second. And I wanted to give you some strategies now on how to actually go about writing your back cover. To do this, I'm going to follow James Scott Bell's recommended strategy for approaching a back cover that he discusses in his book, Revision and Self-Editing for Publication. I also want to dip back and talk about how I mentioned that in some cases, this might actually be one paragraph that you're writing. In other cases, it might be two or three paragraphs for that quote unquote second paragraph of the query letter. How you go about doing this is really up to you. And I just would like to say, I think it's worth before you start using James Scott Bell's method to free write. Nothing wrong with just getting it out there. What do you think needs to get on the page? I can guarantee you it's going to need to be whittled down, but sometimes we just need to get the clay on the paper and then we can start using our chisel and chipping away until it's sculpted into the back cover that we need it to be before we send it out for submission. So that's what you should do first, free write, maybe even give it a day, go back and now let's whittle it down. If you're feeling stuck, James Scott Bell's structure has personally helped me, which is why I'd like to share it with you today. Think of this as an elevator pitch. Essentially, we're thinking about how can I make this as condensed as I can. You might want to start with a paragraph that is no longer than a sentence. And that sentence could just be your log line. It's going to describe everything that you actually need in the story in one quick sentence. That would include your character. It probably includes your setting. It definitely includes that main conflict or what your characters want. And it describes or implies that central plot line, right? Oh, and the hook, of course, don't forget the hook. So all of that would be captured within that log line. And then the back cover would give you an opportunity to expand upon that without giving away details that work like a synopsis. We need to keep it concise. I know I've said that a bunch in this episode, but it is really important to log that into your memory as you start to whittle this down. And then you can use James Scott Bell's three-sentence model to do this. So let's talk about those three sentences. The first sentence that James Scott Bell recommends is a sentence where you identify a protagonist, their vocation, and their initial situation. Why I think this is valuable is because earlier I mentioned that a story that is going to hook an agent or a reader is probably going to be more successful at hooking an agent or a reader if that protagonist is what I like to say the least likely hero for the story or they're ironic to their story. By creating a sense of irony, they're automatically more interesting. Pixar is always a really good model of really interesting concepts without overcomplicating them. So I like to use them for examples. The main logline that I usually refer back to is Finding Nemo, where it goes along the lines of something like a timid goldfish must set out across the Pacific Ocean in order to save his son. And what makes Marlin interesting, what makes him ironic to the story or the least likely hero for the story is that factor of timid. If Marlin was courageous, sure, it might still be interesting to watch him cross the Pacific Ocean because he's a clownfish, so he's tiny, but far less interesting than because he is timid. Timid implies that there is an opportunity for growth, for change in the story. And because of that, I want to read more because it seems far more challenging for Marlin 
the timid clownfish to go across the ocean than Bruce the shark. Although, of course, if you watch Finding Nemo, there is irony to Bruce, but that's another story. To emphasize again, that first sentence, think about the protagonist, the vocation, and their initial situation. The second sentence challenges everything that you've just shared. Because the second sentence, and you can even start this with, but when. It doesn't have to be this stiff when you have your final back cover, but maybe you use this as a template so that you can figure out where the movement is. The second sentence, but when, and then add the main plot problem. By doing that, we now have started to move the story forward. We're probably suggesting the main problem that happens within the first act or at the beginning hook of a story. We understand why that's a giant challenge to the protagonist because we understand what their initial situation is before the main problem comes along. That main problem also gives us an opportunity to imply what the rest of the story is going to be about without needing to actually give the exact details of what it is like you would in a synopsis. That third sentence can be initiated with the word now, and then you add death stakes. So now plus death stakes. And this is just going off the top of my head, but maybe if you were following that example of Finding Nemo, it's probably what you would do is describe in the first sentence something along the lines of Marlin, the timid clownfish who is overprotective of his son Nemo. And you wouldn't necessarily say the details, but you could say something like due to something terrible that happened earlier in his life. Not these words. These are not the prettiest words. This is why you revise, revise, revise until it sounds really great. But the general concept is there. We're sticking strictly to plot. I'm not going into themes and describing why Marlin is going to go on this journey and what he's going to learn. We stick to plot. Plot is what hooks us. Plot is what moves us forward. And plot is with the selling points, right? Remembering that while passion is absolutely essential to writing the manuscript, in order to sell it, we do need to consider the business side of it. And a query letter is the business sales pitch. But I digress. The third sentence is the now plus death stakes. Now, with the help of an unlikely friend, Marlin must cross the Pacific Ocean and face great challenges that he has spent his life avoiding in order to to save his son. The death stakes, what are the death stakes in that situation? Well, probably first physical, because Marlin is going to face a lot of death, physical death stakes. And there is the chance, the unknown, that if he doesn't reach Nemo in time, Nemo will have death stakes as well. So I'd probably say physical is the main death stakes in that story. And I'd say absolutely psychological death stakes. Because if Marlon doesn't succeed in saving Nemo, his life is far emptier than he could have ever even imagined it to be. There's also a lot of psychological death stakes that deal with coming of age stuff. But notice that I didn't necessarily need that in the back cover copy because the main plot line is about Marlon crossing the ocean And the reason why the story resonates with us even more so is because there's this wonderful storyline that deals with a father learning to let go and believe in his son and not be overbearing. But we don't need to describe that in the back cover because that's not the plot. That's something we need to experience through the plot, through the character's growth, not necessarily something we need in order to hook us in order to watch the movie. That being said, now I wanted to read a couple books because we went over a Pixar film and I know that probably the most of you who are on here and you might be writing films, but you might not be writing films. So sometimes with book back cover copies, there is a lengthier description. I mentioned I would not go over three paragraphs for this quote unquote second paragraph, the query letter. Probably if there are multiple paragraphs, that first paragraph is going to be like a sentence or two, not longer than that. So you're not talking lengthy things. 
I still would really or very much encourage you to not exceed a page single space Word doc. If you are having multiple paragraphs for your second paragraph, don't go beyond that. You need to start cutting and condensing if you are. Six, walk through what we've talked about with James Scott Bell's three sentence method and to talk about the three main details that are in a back cover. Again, character, main plot line, or central plot line and hook. Let's read some examples and identify what those are. So the first back cover, I'm going to read the five people you meet in heaven. Eddie is a grizzled war veteran who feels trapped in a meaningless life of fixing rides at a seaside amusement park. As the park has changed over the years from the loop-to-loop to the pipeline plunge, so too has Eddie changed from optimistic youth to embittered old age. His days are a dull routine of work, loneliness, and regret. Then, on his 83rd birthday, Eddie dies in a tragic accident, trying to save a little girl from a falling cart. With his final breath, he feels two small hands in his, and then nothing. He awakens in the afterlife, where he learns that heaven is not a lush garden of Eden, but a place where your earthly life is explained to you by five people who are in it. These people may have been loved ones or distant strangers, yet each of them changed your path forever. One by one, Eddie's five people illuminate the unseen connections of his earthly life. As the story builds to its stunning conclusion, Eddie desperately seeks redemption in the still unknown last act of his life. Was it a heroic success or devastating failure? The answer, which comes from the most unlikely of sources, is as inspirational as a glimpse of heaven itself. Real quick, I will say that at the end of this, you'll notice there was that rhetorical question, was it a heroic success or a devastating failure? And then it implies what the answer to that rhetorical question might be. I would discourage you, if you're writing your back cover blurb, to include rhetorical questions. I've seen a lot of writers who want to include them. And it's not that rhetorical questions can't be catchy, but I've also heard from agents that rhetorical questions sometimes mistakenly are used to overcompensate for a back cover that might not have enough in it to actually describe plot. But if the back cover blurb has described the central plot along with the hook, along with the character, well, it probably won't need those rhetorical questions. So long story short, yes, some agents might not be bothered by rhetorical questions, but some agents are. So I'd usually urge on the side of caution and ask yourself, do you need the rhetorical question to hook the agent or can the plot stand on its own? Let's go back to the back cover copy now and break this down and see if it follows the format that we suggested. Eddie is a grizzled war veteran who feels trapped in a meaningless life of fixing rides at a seaside amusement park. So we have Eddie. Notice that in this whole back cover, one character is named. The main character, Eddie. Other characters are implied, but they are not put down by name, okay? So I only have to follow one. I know that the main story is going to be about Eddie. The story is going to be about his change. What is going to force him to change, right? I also understand that he feels like he has a meaningless life, and I know his vocation, his norm. He fixes rides at a seaside amusement park, and that he was a grizzled war veteran. So there is your ironically likely hero, this war veteran, who just has this meaningless life of fixing rides. Now, following James Scott three-sentence method, we did exactly that in the first sentence. We identified a character, his vocation, his situation that he's in. And now in this back cover, it describes the, the setting a little bit more, so it expands upon those three sentences. It says, as the park has changed over the years from the loop-to-loop -to, -loop to the pipeline plunge, so too has Eddie changed from optimistic youth 
to embittered old age, his days are a dull routine of work, loneliness, and regret. It describes who he is and his situation. Then we go into the but when. And in this case, if you're following James Scott Bell's three-sentence method, we're going to use the word then instead of but when. Then, on his 83rd birthday, Eddie dies in a tragic accident trying to save a little girl from a falling cart. Notice that the but when often implies the catalyst for the whole story, the inciting incident for the whole story. And here it is right here. Eddie is going to die. So it's going to take us completely out of that situation, that setting, and we're going to go somewhere else, which is actually going to be heaven. After you have that but when, we move into the third sentence, which is going to suggest the now. So after the but when happens, it's a quick moment, and then it's about now. Now what do you do? With his final breath, he feels two small hands in his and then nothing. He awakens in the afterlife where he learns that heaven is not a lush garden of Eden, but a place where your earthly life is explained to you by five people who are in it. These people may have been loved ones or distant strangers, yet each of them changed your path forever. Notice that it sticks to plot when it describes what Eddie is going to face and what Eddie is going to be challenged by. It does not go into theme and explain the lessons that Eddie is going to learn in the story. That is for the reader's experience through line by line, the story itself. It is not the back cover that is going to encourage them to read the story. The back cover that's going to encourage them to read the story is the plot itself, which is basically saying that Eddie in heaven is going to meet five people who are going to teach him lessons. One by one, Eddie's five people illuminate the unseen connections of his earthly life, as the story builds to its stunning conclusion, Eddie desperately seeks redemption in the still unknown last act of his life. And I'm going to actually leave out the rhetorical question here because see, you can read it without the rhetorical question. We know then it's implied that suggestively the giant chunk of the story, probably all of the middle build, if not more than that, not all of act two or the middle build, if not more than that, is going to be Eddie meeting each person and learning something that he didn't realize about in his life and how he either impacted their lives or how they impacted his lives or what it meant for the purpose or meaning of his life as he moves forward with each interaction with strangers or loved ones. Very interesting. Very interesting how it ties it all together. It also suggests that we're moving to a stunning conclusion that is based on Eddie's redemption. So remember how when you had that now plus death stakes in James Scott Bell's three-sentence method? The now plus death stakes, the death stakes, or this book, he already is dead, right? Physical death is off the charts because he actually dies in the inciting instant. So what's at stake here? Psychological death. If we're dealing with redemption, we're dealing with probably a more emotionally driven story, but that emotionally driven story will not happen if there is not an interesting plot to move it forward. Just like people don't change if they're not faced with conflict, we need conflicts and stories in order to move us forward. And through that movement, we inevitably change. So this back cover is implying that the story is going to be hitting those raw, hard emotions through Eddie's experiences and what he's going to learn. But what makes it interesting, the unique factor here is the five people that he's going to meet in heaven and how they're going to teach him those lessons. In this case, you know, setting and character are pretty big hooks for that story. The last detail I encourage writers to include in their query letter is some form of secret. Based on the example of the five people you meet in heaven, you'll notice that the secret is very subtle and at the same time highly captivating. This secret is based on the two hands 
that Eddie feels before he dies. And then those hands or his last act in life trying to save this little girl is reinforced at the end of the blurb where the secret is brought further to our attention when it's mentioned that Eddie has a need for redemption. In this specific example, it's not the only way that you can do it, but in this specific example, it insinuates that the secret that drives the story forward in this novel will be revealed in a stunning conclusion. Throughout the plot, we're going to figure out why Eddie needs redemption, and then in the conclusion, we will see if Eddie did indeed save the little girl that he attempted to save and resulted in his death, as well as understand if he received the redemption that he felt he needed. Secrets are essential to stories and entertaining readers as we move through a plot. They don't always have to come into the first chapter, although that's a great way to hook a reader. And multiple secrets can be woven throughout a story's plot as the main character moves forward through their journey. When you're focusing on the blurb, pay attention to what the main secret driving your plot forward is, since again, we're discussing the central plot or the main plot in that back cover copy. When you do this, it's likely that the reader or an agent will only get more excited about reading the first pages and hopefully the full manuscript. And of course, with the back cover copy, that's what we all want to accomplish. There's a great example for you. And I told others that I was going to read as examples, but I want this to be a quick query tips episode. I challenge you now to go read two or three back covers of comps. I think that that would be really cool for you to study and start paying attention to. Did the back cover in a concise way hit the three main details, character, central or main plot, and hook? And did it use or follow in some way James Scott Bell's three-sentence method of describing and moving what that central plot is? When you fuse the two together, I found that writers find writing a query letter actually a great challenge and very interesting. And I actually use this exercise when I coach writers before they even start writing their story. The reason for that is because regardless of if you want to publish traditional publishing or not, Writing back cover copy is valuable to helping you understand if your manuscript is doing what you want it to do or not. Yes, yes, yes. That means even you pantsers out there that writing back cover before you write your manuscript can do you good. If you write a back cover before you write your manuscript, it acts as a sort of compass or even just way to like ground yourself in why you started writing a story. How it does this is you write your back cover using the methods that we described. Again, start with free write and then whittle it down using the strategies and then write your manuscript. And as you write your manuscript, every once in a while, check back, read your back cover. Is your manuscript becoming more about a different character or did you change settings or is the plot far off compared to what you implied it was going to be in the back cover? Here's a quick check for you because if the answer to that is yes, you have an opportunity to ask yourself something. Was your back cover off? Or is your manuscript losing direction? There's not the right answer to that question as you're writing. Really, it's dependent on what story you're trying to tell. The story that you thought you wanted to tell might be different than the one that you actually want to tell as you start writing it. Regardless, you're going to need to revise either or both the back cover and the manuscript, but that back cover can serve as guidance that helps you reset to yourself. And if you need to revise it at the end, you can revise it and hopefully be even more enthusiastic about writing the query letter because you've discovered the story that you need it to be before you query them. That's all I have for you today. As a quick recap, what we went over, we talked about 
what the second paragraph in the preferred three-paragraph format of a query letter is. That second paragraph's focus is the most important part of a query letter, and this can also be called the back cover copy or the blurb. We also discussed the three main details in back cover copy, details that Jessica Faust and James McGowan pointed out in one of their bookends YouTube videos on the back cover blurb. And those three main details are one, the character, and you get bonus points if you let me know why they're ironic to the story or the least likely hero for the story. The second detail is the chunk of the back cover. It's the central plot or main plot. It is not theme. It is not backstory. And the third detail is the hook. And you need that hook because that is how you're going to defend why your story is different than every other in its genre. To help you write it, we then recommended that you free write back cover first. To help you whittle it down, I recommend using James Scott Bell's three-sentence method pulled from his book, Revision and Self-Editing for Publication. Those three sentences, which again can be elaborated, but the general idea of them is sentence one, the character and their vocation and their situation as the story opens. Sentence two, the idea of but when, so essentially the inciting incident of the story, but when this happens. And then sentence three, which is the one that you'd probably expand upon the most, the now plus the death stakes. Death stakes being the main stakes in that central plot, which if you follow James Scott method, are the whiff of deaths of physical death, psychological death, or professional death. In a story, there's probably a combination of all three, but for the main plot line, what is the main death stake at hand and how does the plot that you describe in your back cover imply that the stakes will be escalated as the character moves forward and the plot challenges them to do this? If you've done all that, you're probably in a great place with your back cover. Pitch it to critique partners or an editor or a book coach that you might be working with. Read it even to some friends, but definitely test it on some people to see if they are interested. See if this is a book that they would want to read more of. If you're doing a good job with those details, it's likely that it is. And I really hope that these strategies and these focus points help you deliver the best back cover that you can. I also just want to take this time to say thank you, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation on LitMatch. You can learn more about how to write a query letter and specifically the second paragraph in that three-paragraph format of a query letter in the show notes. If you want to check out more tips on the first paragraph of a query letter, you can listen to the previous episode on LitMatch, the quick query tips on how to write your first paragraph. Today was about how to write your second paragraph. And next week, you can look forward to an episode on we're bringing it home here, how to write the third paragraph, the cook section of your query letter. I also want to take a moment to thank everyone who has taken the time to rate and review the show. Your ratings and reviews signal to iTunes that this podcast matters, which means that I stand a chance at reaching more writers who are in need of help of researching literary agents before they query literary agents or who need help learning how to write the best book they can. I genuinely believe that stories have this amazing ability to connect each other and bring each other together and to inspire positive change in this world. Through stories, we stand a chance at becoming more empathetic of all people and all living things. I want to support you in your writing because I believe your writing matters, and I hope that these episodes are helping you take those steps forward. If they are, and you haven't taken a second to rate or review the show, I so would appreciate it. It means the world. And if you want to pass the show on and refer it to your other writing companions or people in the publishing world, that means so much too. 
I can't wait to hear when you sign with the best literary agent for your writing and business career and celebrate your book when it comes out.